0: Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler and I want to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. This is episode number 29 and thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, on the podcast today. Okay, so I've got with me a guy today by the name of Scott Watkins. Now, that name might sound familiar to you. Uh, Scott at one time was the co-host of the uh, Holy Heretics podcast, so he co-hosted that with my good friend John Scott, and so it was John Scott and Scott Watkins. And I always enjoyed what Scott. Had to say, I still do very much. Um, this is a good guy, right? Who has some, I think, some some really good things to say. And so, I have wanted to have Scott on the podcast for a bit. And we were having troubles kind of getting our uh, our schedules to jive, but we finally got to sit down and have the conversation. And I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna enjoy it, and you're gonna appreciate it. Um, I kind of identified with Scott. Uh, very early on and so we would trade uh, messages and stuff and yeah I just I thought that I always enjoyed where he was at and he's got a really you know he's just got a good heart and um, sometimes it's hard to keep that you know cynicism gets in I know in my own life that's been the case and um, maybe bitterness and perhaps Scott has dealt with some of that as well but I, I really like where he's at. And, uh, yeah, just enjoy the conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it, too. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump into that. But real quick, uh, thank you, all of you that continue to share the podcast on your social media feeds. Uh, you're the way that this audience expands. So I appreciate your assistance, and I appreciate very much those of you that listen each week. So, all right, man, let's jump into episode number 29 uh, as I sit down with Scott Watkins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Black Sheep Experience. Thanks for joining me. So I have um, a guy on today that um, some of you will know who um, he's been through some, some really transitions, I guess, as we all have. in in his spirituality and and what he believes. He uh, was on the podcast, Holy Heretics. Uh, Welcome, Scott Watkins. Hey, hey. How are you, man?
1: Man, if I was any better, I I just don't know what I'd do with myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How are you? Uh, Yeah, I'm exactly the same, you know. (laughs) <laughs> not really. <laughs> nah. I'm good, man. It's uh, it's all good, you know. I'm living and uh trying to figure uh my existence out, you know, the the small questions. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: you know, nothing be huge or big or, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast, man. I, you know, it seems like podcasting used to be my life yeah, with Holy Heretics as you mentioned and uh you know, these days I rarely uh, do a podcast of any kind, so this is fun.
0: Yeah, man, I uh, I'm really glad that, that you uh, uh, you know you allowed me to have you on. I, I appreciate it. You know, I uh, you and I communicated a little bit while you were doing the Holy Heretics thing, and in fact, I um, I started my deconstruction really just about the time you guys aired you know your first or, or second podcast and oh, wow. um, yeah yeah so I kind of walked through a lot of that with you guys um, and, and so I mean certainly you you have to think that some of that work was was fairly valuable right
1: Oh yeah absolutely absolutely. I uh, I didn't realize that that was when your journey into deconstruction was beginning. I remember communicating with you early on, uh, I think via Instagram and just maybe some email. I think you had a a,
0: a YouTube channel going, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hopefully yeah, most re- of those are gone now. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, man, I, I had always, uh, well, not always, but I had been kind of in deconstruction mode silently, you know. Uh, Just deep within, I was still pastoring at the time, and then when um, my wife and I left the ministry, so to speak, I really just sort of let all the questions fly, and um, I discovered really quickly, as I'm sure you did too, um, most of the people that were friends uh, either never really were, um, or they certainly weren't anymore. Um, You probably went through that, you're probably still going through that, right? Yeah, and I know exactly what you're
1: hitting at there I've, I've had that same experience um, I think my more generous perspective now that I could offer that Would be to say they were friends, but only in a certain context And, you know, when my situation and my perspective changed Then, you know, the friendship kind of was lost And, uh, you know, I guess that's just how it goes That's life, you know
0: yeah, I don't. I think uh, I'm probably um, starting to come into perhaps that mindset. You know, I think in the beginning I was uh, pretty frustrated with that, and, and and maybe even hurt. I don't know. However, it represented itself as kind of being angry. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. some of those, you know, some of those friendships I, I I needed to end, and then some of them I were kind of surprised that they came to the place that they eventually came to? Did you go through that process?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, You know, following uh, Richard Rohr's perspective, sort of that everything belongs, you know. and, And I recognize, too, that life is seasonal, you know. And so some friends I had had for you know, almost a lifetime, some others that were just, you know, kind of short term. And I, and I did go through a lot of, you know, anger. And I'm not kidding myself, you know, I may have some more anger and to yet resolve within myself. But, you know, um, I, I went through some deep hurts with some friendships, because it wasn't just like the phone stopped ringing with some of these people. You know, it was like that they just, it, it was a lot more pronounced for that. the The phone didn't just stop ringing. I mean, in some cases, that you know, I was sought out to say that, "Hey, this is over," just so you know. <laughs> you know I'm like, okay, well, all right,
2: let's move on, you know. And, hey, hey, oh,
1: wow. and then you want to, then you see these people in the streets, you know, six, eight, nine months later, and it's just like everything's all good. And I'm like, well, I, you know, maybe with you, but I, I can't. I can't really just forget how painful our last interaction was, you know, and so, you know, I mean, for me, it's like I don't wish any harm on you, but I'm not exactly just going to pretend like everything's okay either, you know.
0: Yeah, um, and this is going to sound like I have a bad attitude about it probably, but I, uh, I, so I turned 50 this year, and I know every, most of the people around me are tired of of hearing me say, I'm 50, so I'm not going to deal with this anymore. But, so I turned 50 this year. And one of the things I realized, man, is, um, some of those people that are, that are that way, I really had to kind of get them out of my life. Like that negative, you know, life is hard enough as it is without that kind of weird, selfish negativity being introduced. And, and I found that maybe saying goodbye to some of those people or severing some of those relationships, um, may have may actually be you know healthy uh did, did you have yeah. any like that or yeah i i definitely had some relationships
1: that you know at the time when they ended friendships i mean you know it was painful because i mean in my experience and my story you know i had grown up in a one church basically for my whole life that i think we my family started attending around age 9 or 10, uh, and this is something I've shared on both the Holy Heretics and other podcasts I've been on, but uh, I subsequently worked at that church, you know, af- like after having been there for so long, I was um, a full-time youth pastor there, and I mean, I basically had like a 20-year run with that church, you know, from coming in as a little boy, being there throughout teenage years, going to the Christian school that was affiliated with it, met my wife there, we got married there, we worked there together because she was a pastor on staff too, and so, you know, it was just, and then when it all came to an end, you know, it was like life just really changed, but but even in, in the ending of that sort of tenure there, Uh, the relationships carried on because i wasn't i wasn't really out of the the circle yet or i mean i guess i was i just i didn't really know it like how i would have described it at the time was sort of an abrahamic call you know of being called to go out into sort of this unknown land and journey and you just don't know where you're going and um you know so the relationships continued on because i would have still identified you know as an evangelical christian at the time and um but then when i started to get more and more as the years went by of questioning things and being more vocal and with the advent of social media and so you know there there's really no more filters you you say what you want and people see it and you know, uh, for me, the the great reckoning sort of happened with um, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, um, where it seemed like almost instantly that uh, Christians that I knew personally, from you know my past and my present, were you know basically passing judgment on the day the shooting happened. Of you know these you know the people basically had it coming because they were gay and being gay is a sin and gay being gay is an abomination and all this stuff, right? And I just couldn't believe what I was really reading and I guess my years of working in hospice too had really played a role in my changing of worldview because I've seen so many hurting people and just, you know, realize that, you know, you can't you can't just think that your way of looking at the world is the only way or that your lifestyle that you have is the right way and others are just the wrong way and really the devaluing of human life that I saw from Christians toward the gay community in the immediate aftermath of the Pulse nightclub shooting. And I just got on Facebook and was just like, that sounds so like, just, I mean, how, just like, how, how pathetic is that to be like, I got on Facebook, (laughs) like, (laughs) like. I made a statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just pathetic. But anyway, I got, at the time, I guess everybody was doing it, right? So I got on Facebook. I, I, I just get really pissed these days that so much of what passes for social activism is really just a status update. I mean, give me a break, right? Yeah, right, that's right. Not, that's not getting your hands dirty. But anyway, I mean, uh, I, I just spoke out against... Christianity, evangelical Christianity at the devaluing of human life and was just like, this isn't about politics, this isn't about religion it's not about the Bible, it's not about what God does or does not think this is about people died and if you can't respect and honor that fact that there are people hurting right now, then just shut the hell up and uh, I think a few days later my phone rang and I was scolded from the church I had always been at by the pastor that was still there and you know, said you. Know, I'm. You shouldn't have said hell. And I'm like, well, you should not f- be friends with me on Facebook because I got a lot more I'm gonna say. You know, and it was at that point I was just kind of like, you know, just forget this. I mean, this this is crazy. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I want to say about what I feel, and you know, that's just gonna be. And and really evangelical Christianity created that in me because, as you well know, one of the tenets of the evangelical culture is, you know, you don't have the liberty to say what you think and feel. It's not about what you think and feel. It's about what God thinks and feels, right? And right. so you, you have to suppress that that is within you because that's just the flesh. That's the world. And so I think I'd had at that point years, if not a lifetime of message you know for lack of a better term built up within me like i had things i needed to say you know and the, thus the holy heretics you know was born along with john and we both had some things we needed to say and um but little did i know how many people would listen <laughs>
0: so yeah it really it became was. a kind of a phenomenon there for a while to be honest with you you guys were pretty yeah. big big deal
1: I mean, I guess, I mean, I think, well, I mean, I really don't know. You know, I, I hear, I remember when we sat down with Science Mike McHarg down there when he was still living in Tallahassee and we did an interview with him and the literature's podcast was getting big. I mean, their episodes, some of their episodes was generating hundreds of thousands, if if not over a million listens, you know, and we were never anywhere close to that. <laughs> and so if that is big we were not big but (laughs) you know i also talked to some people you know i remember this one guy who was running the podcast 10 at wild goose festival and he was asking us how many downloads we got a month and i was like you know i think it's somewhere between like 15 and twenty thousand. and he i said but i you know i really don't know i mean is that good he was like i only get 300 downloads a month so yeah that's pretty
0: good yeah it (laughs) is
1: and so i guess i guess we were like a mid-grade like we were the uh the unleaded plus of podcasting you know we weren't regular we weren't premium we were we were right there in the middle but um but it was fun man i enjoyed it i enjoyed it i had a lot of stuff i needed to say i felt like i said it and when i i guess i'd reached this point within that once i would said it you know, I was kind of. I'm just. I'm done. You know, I I just needed to step back, and that was almost two years ago. I think, yeah, September will be two years, mm. and so I, I've just kind of been living living in the place of silence since then. You know, and uh, ooh, it's been a it's been a journey. You know, good days and bad days for sure.
0: Yeah, so you know, I I think. Um you know, a couple of things you hit on and, and, and one of those is, you know, I, I'm still essentially a believer, in, uh, in Christ and, um, okay. But, can I ask you a question? Yes. Is it okay
1: for me to stop right there? Because, um, what does, what does being a believer, and I'm not interrogating you, this is an honest question, honest question. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean for
0: you to be a believer in Christ? Well, and and so this will take a, a slight explanation, but so I believe um, in the outrageous uh, idea of um, the birth, the virgin birth, the the, the resurrection, and uh, even uh, as as much as within our circle, it's kind of fading. Um, some type of substitutionary atonement, although I don't have a great grasp on that and I also believe in engaging the world and um, uh, uh, engaging the world sounds not what I want to say but I guess interacting with the world and the community the way that Jesus would okay it would okay. not mean anything that resembles any type of evangelical um, display of that. So okay. when I say I believe in, in Jesus, I believe in, in the primary tenets of it, but, um, I, I don't really even want to be labeled as a Christian just because if I do, then if I say, uh, you know, Buddha said this, then all of a sudden you get all these stupid emails. You know what I mean? Right, right. Totally. So I don't want to be no. pigeonholed into that. In fact, I, I I've really been getting into, um, you know, Buddhism, and I've really been getting into the Tao as well as some other um, views. And uh, yeah. you know, I have a, a, I got a text from a, from a buddy that said, "So what? You're a Buddhist now?" And uh, it's like, no, I'm 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 just a I'm a human, you know, and I'm trying to figure this out, and it's not easy yeah. to figure. I I don't feel Scott, for me, I don't feel like it's. This is not has not been an easy thing. To some things have been hard to let go. Some things have been hard to accept, and it's been they're they're as stupid as it, as to some people it may sound. You know, there have been nights I've laid awake in bed thinking, uh, I, I don't know what I feel about this. I don't know what I feel about that. And I had a similar situation when the hurricanes uh, ripped through Texas. You're, mm-hmm. as you you probably remember, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there was this child that was found, you know, I think the child was two, three years old, clutching its dead mother, okay, in, in some floodwaters. And it really pissed me off, okay? And one of my Calvinist friends said, well, you know, that, that was the will of God. And I just thought... Well, I'll tell you exactly what I, what I honestly thought was, that's that's bullshit. Yeah, totally. I've, I've had similar experiences. Um, January
1: 1st of 2015, my six-year-old nephew died of brain cancer, and he had a, from diagnosis to death, was two and a half years, hmm. and so... He had a journey with it. It, The beginning was rough. The middle was kind of like good. You almost didn't even know he was sick. And then sort of like the last nine months was a a downward spiral and really got, you know, increasingly rapid uh, near the end. Um, But I remember interacting with someone, you know, and I, I didn't even know who they were on Facebook. It was just a friend of a friend and, you know had that same sort of, like, Calvinist position, you know, the Bible is the inspired and infallible blah blah blah, and you know, basically this prick told me that it was the will of God that my nephew should have cancer, and if he dies then that's the will of God you know, and at the time I mean, I was pastoring like a startup church, you know that I planted with some people and I just remember reading this guy's statement, and you know, and I'm I'm very much in Jesus camp. I'm I'm a pastor. I'm a believer, a full blown believer. But when I read that I just said, Bullshit You mm. know. I mean and I you know, and I said it and then the our mutual friend came on and was like, All right everybody, let's just calm down. I, I think we need to realize Scott's in a sensitive place and that, you know, a few months from now he may not even feel this way. You know, and I'm like, no, that's bullshit, too. Like, you want to sit here and tell me that there's an omnipotent being in an unseen realm that is pushing the buttons and it suits his fancy just to make sure that my nephew not just dies. Okay, we all die, but suffers and dies, you know. And you could go into a lot of Buddhists there, like, well, what is suffering? We all suffer. No, I'm not talking about the philosophical stuff. I'm I'm talking about pain, bone-breaking, suffering from cancer, you know. And I remember having conversations, too, with others. They were like, you know, well, maybe God has given him this diagnosis because, you know, maybe God's given him this cancer because God sees something on down the road that, you know, is going to be just awful for his life and this is this is maybe God's way of giving mercy so that he doesn't ever get to that place and you know like I get it like we're humans we you know religion gives us a framework to sort of put words around that which really doesn't have any words you know to 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 have a way to grasp that which you really can't grasp it gives us a framework you know for these unspeakable things especially the pains and the sufferings of life but even those explanations i found so lacking because i'm like well if that's true that god's trying to be merciful to take him out of here before he hits something even worse later then why doesn't he just ha- get in a car wreck and die why does he got to suffer for two and a half years you know yeah absolutely. I mean, it, it just you know i'm, I'm just like you know When you start breaking all this down, like you just, you, or I, I got to the place where I'm like, the most peaceful answer that I can possibly have for any of this is that there are no answers. You know, there's no, maybe God did this, maybe God did that. That doesn't help me. What helps me is just to say, this is life. I don't think anybody's out to get me or was out to get my nephew, especially God, you know, but this is just what happens, and it—you know—it's up to us on how we wrestle with it. But I'm mm. not gonna. You trying to figure it out only creates more chaos
0: instead of just accepting what is. In my opinion. No, you know? I, I actually agree, man. In fact, you know, when when you asked me uh, earlier what that means to me, my my only caution with with doing that is I I don't want it. I don't want my faith to be very well defined because the more definition you give to it, the more you, I, I feel, the more you're actually breaking it down or destroying it because right. I, I just don't think it's that for me, it hasn't been that defined. And so when I look at like what really helped me was and you're probably familiar with some of this, uh, you know, like the apophatic fathers who believed God mm-hmm. was known as much through what we didn't know as what we did. So, anymore, that's kind of where I'm just at. It's like, well, what do, you think, what, what do you think God does with this situation? I'm much more comfortable saying, ah, I have no idea. And I don't know, you know. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I've <laughs> been trying to put definition yeah, yeah. to it because it's the definitions become, especially like in the situation with your nephew, the definitions become insulting and, and they, they paint a God <clears throat> that no one, <clears throat> excuse me, could or should love in my opinion totally absolutely and so you know
1: i'm at the place now in my spirituality um you know i after i I left the holy heretics (laughs) one of the final episodes i just opened up and you know we would always come up with something to say different just random to open up the episodes and I think one of them, I just opened it up by saying, hey, welcome to the Holy her- Heretics. You know, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, it was just funny. But, you know, I, I, I just gotten so frustrated with all the lingo, you know, because. And I, and I departed the podcast and I leaned in pretty hard
0: to atheism. You know, yeah, I was I remember that. Yeah, I was listening, you know, to
1: all of, I mean, I couldn't consume enough, uh, like, debates, you know, wanted to hear uh, lectures from Dawkins, and Hitchens, and Harris, and Dennett, you know, all those guys, I mean, I wanted to listen to their debates, I wanted to listen to their lectures, I mean, I just, I couldn't consume enough of it, and, you know, I got to the, you know, and I called kind of a hard time you know not necessarily thing that was you know in my face from some of my friends but I could tell some of my friends that were walking the progressive Christian path you know they were like come on man what you know they wouldn't say it but I could feel it you know like what are you doing man come on you know why are you where are you all up in this atheism stuff? You know, you're not an atheist. And I'm like, well, maybe I am. You know, I mean, I know I don't believe the stuff of evangelical Christianity. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure of how much the progressive Christian message I could even buy into also. I mean, maybe, maybe an atheist is who I am. And so I was telling someone yesterday that in a way, atheism was a salvation experience for me. Because just like I had been programmed and, you know, had been a part of all the evangelical Christianity stuff, I think there was something in me that had to go just the complete 180 and put both feet in the other camp, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, which was atheism, just to see what, you know, okay, what's over here, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think after having done that and lived in, you know, Camp Atheist for a little while, I'm kind of like, okay, well, there are tenets of atheism that are just as rigid and dogmatic as evangelical Christianity, you know? That they've got their thou shalts and their thou shalt nots too. And, you know, I'm just not a fan of those things. And, you know, I think where I like to live now is really in a place of sort of just mystery and maybe perhaps saying anything is possible. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard so, I've heard so many atheists say there's no way that there could be a conscious existence after death, you know, um, maybe a heaven experience. There's just, it's impossible. And because there's no evidence for it, right? Cause everything's evidence based. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I agree. There's really no evidence for it, but atheists will also say our human existence is the equivalent of us winning like the biggest lottery ever, right? Right. Like there's no there is there is science like there is no way possible outside of just hitting the, the cosmic lottery jackpot that we should even be living, thinking, and existing right now. I mean, we hit the cosmic lottery in this existence and i'm like well okay if if having this human existence right now was that unlikely and unthinkable and unfathomable perhaps it is also possible that an existence beyond this one although it be it highly unlikely maybe you could hit the lottery again you know i don't know i don't know i mean it's it's possible and so what what i'm saying is i'm just at the place now where it's like you know the only label I kind of carry is me um, I just I am me you know and I have found some practices that's healthy for my life and spirituality just sort of where I feel in tune you know I, I've i heard it said that um God's first cathed- cathedral was nature you know and so yeah. nature's kind of nature's <laughs> like my church you know and um that's, that's what my family generally does on Sunday mornings. You know, we don't go to church. We go take walks in the woods, you know, and along rivers. And, um, you know, that's, and that's okay. You know, I don't feel guilty for not being a part of organized religion. And, uh,
0: no, I think I really it's more than okay. <laughs> go
1: ahead. Yeah, yeah I don't, I, I don't have any need to, you know, I'm, I, I am an atheist to the evangelical Christian God. Right. Um, I, I do not believe whatsoever in the existence of that God. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I understand that the term God gets used a thousand different ways and everybody, if you ask someone to define God, you're going to get a different answer from every single person you talk to. And so God is more of a, um, God is more of a personal choice and a personal definition and a use we word to define those things that are generally undefinable than it is, um, you know, a a definite answer or like, you know, um, yeah. And so I I just, you know, man, I I I hold everything the, the theologies and everything very loose these days
0: very loose. Well, I I do too. I um you know as you if you and you you've done this as well, but you know as you study um the the history of Christianity, there there was never any agreement on on how God responded reacted to the world. I mean, disagreement on who, you know, it was you know 325 years later they're still arguing about if Jesus is divine or not. So there's never been And I don't know why we think we've got it figured out. But God and Christianity, those things have never been defined in a universal way that everyone accepted. So there's always been variables. And I think there still is tons of variables. And I've I've said this quote a hundred times on on my podcast. But um, Eckhart Tolle, who obviously to every evangelical is, you know... uh, if he's not the Antichrist, you know, he's, he's damn close. And uh, he, he said, uh, somebody asked him, you know, you, you quote Jesus a lot. And he said, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And he said, I think uh, Jesus was so wise and profound. And the things he said were so amazing. And who has really understood him except for maybe a few Buddhists, you know. <laughs> and uh, right. yeah. and I just thought it was great, you know, because I, most of what I see and and I'll tell you, man. I there's no way I'd go to a and Well, there's no way I'd go to a church. Period. Uh, uh, no way. That, that's not going to happen. Hopefully, ever again. And um, we also spend a ton of time in nature, and that's church for us as well. But to me, the evangelical version of whom. Jesus is presented to be first of all it doesn't line up with what I read of him and secondly most times I don't understand how you could attach or connect yourself to that type of a being or entity so it sounds like you went through some of that process too where you just thought this version of God is too cruel for me to believe in is that fair to say
1: well I think What happened for me was that everything I'd always been taught just did not match my experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and also the way that they would combat that the evangelical church is that you're taught that your experience is not the highest truth, you know, um, that you should discount your experience, that you should discount and discredit Uh, your own intuition, your heart, you know, the heart is deceitful, you know, all of this sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, when what you're living and what you're experiencing doesn't line up with the word, then you go back to the word, not to your lived reality. And you reach a certain point in your journey of, you know, suffering where it's just like you're either going to flip the script and say and call BS on it all and start to just explore or you're going to hard line even more and just submit yourself even more to denying your lived experience and saying no that God's truth is the highest truth right right and so the reason I didn't lean into God's truth being the highest truth you know and discounting and distrusting my lived experience was because I had read too many people. I'd had too many conversations. I understood that there was a depth to the whole uh, Christian uh, religion, you know, that the evangelical church was not even tapping into. And so I didn't trust them when they said, discount your lived experience and just trust god you know everything's going to be all right i I didn't trust them because i knew that there were deep wells of knowledge and richness that they weren't even tapping into and i had some by some just miracle had managed to find those things you Mm know and so i started my own exploration i mean and, and looking back now i see that as probably why i started um you know, my departure from vocational ministry is just because I I I was reading those Barna studies, you know, I was reading Phyllis Tickle and The Great Emergence. I was uh, listening to guys like Iacanelli and Mark Ostriker and I could I could hear, maybe for lack of a better term, like the prophetic voice in them, not, you know, the untie my bow tie stuff, but I'm just saying like these folks had a message of what was coming, and I just listened, you know. And it, it and I remember the Barna studies and a, a book called Pagan Christianity. You know, talking about Pagan Christianity by Frank Baola and George Barna really messed me up in a good way. Because have you ever read that book?
0: I have. Yeah, I've got it. Yep, very good.
1: Yeah. I I started reading that while I'm a full time youth pastor and I'm like, holy shit
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, we were I'm like, look at all the stuff we do. Like this this is a relatively new invention, most of our practices. You know, these things that I thought were sacred and untouchable, I'm like, they've not always been sacred and untouchable. They're pretty new. And so I was just like, that that really really, like, poked holes in a lot of things for me, and then with the Parna studies, you know, about, you know, how the church was going to be changing the institutional church in, you know, 15 to 20 years down the road, and man, we're seeing it, we are seeing it right now, like, what they said was going to happen is happening, you know, the, the church on the corner is dying, and the church that is being birthed and is now alive, are these, you know, churches where their dinner tables and their coffee shops and their friends on a Friday night, you know, that's the new church. And I think it's I think it's wonderful that paid professional ministry is getting killed because when your income is tied to it, it's not about making meaning for people anymore. It's about ensuring your own safety, you know,
0: yeah, so you're, it, you're trying to it, protect it, your job.
1: Right. And yeah. so when you're when you're when your dollars are tied to it, it, it actually tends to have a way of, of you you've got too much self interest and it's a conflict of interest, you know. You can't you can't always tell people what they need to hear because you're afraid you'll lose your job. And man, there are so many pastors out there who know, like, they're they're deconstructing. They're asking the questions. Um, I sit with them, you know, and they'll tell me these things. But when they get up on Sunday mornings, you know, they're going to preach the party line. And I don't fault them for it because it's their income. But I'm just saying, you know, they are – when you have a people who are on the other side in the pew listening and you've programmed them to, for years – that you're God's anointed and they better not question God's anointed, but you're up there preaching a message that you at best maybe halfway believe in. I mean, we're not creating disciples. We just, we're looking for the money, you know?
0: Yeah, I I think it's kind of damaging to, you know, to be honest with you. I I think that um, you have a lot of people that, you know, they, they, Internally, they're searching, and internally they're they're looking for answers. And then, if they go do go to church on a Sunday morning, that's almost the worst place to go look for answers because they're just going to hear, you know, whatever is acceptable according to that particular party line. And the pastor also is going to toe that party line. And maybe it's because he has to. Um, you know, you're, you're probably right there, but it's just not a place. You know, church doesn't seem. It seems to me it should be a place where we can ask difficult questions and ponder those answers, as opposed to, well, here's our doctrinal statement. This is what we believe. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of room for
1: growth. Well, I think I think those communities are the ones that are starting to crop up, and you've got some of them out there. You know, that they look and smell like institutional church, but the the meat on the bones is really something a little bit different. Um, out in Seattle, there's a church called, uh, East Lake community church and, uh, they're doing things differently. Um, there's a church called everybody church, you know, they're doing things differently and, you know, but a lot of the institutional setup, you know, where things really are different, you know, you don't see a lot of them. Um, again, I think the the communities where the that conversation, like what you're talking about, you know, questions without retaliation can happen is just more in private settings these days, I mean, because you know, it's and, and, and that's encouraging, you know and, and you're right, that's exactly what, if there is a church like, that's what church should be I mean, if you look at the Gospels no matter what you think they are or who wrote them or, you know um you you see questions all in those things you know you 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 see all in the scripture, not just the gospels you know this is a story like Rob Bell says of what it means to be human mm-hmm. and so you know the worst thing the worst thing that ever happened to the scriptures, the holy Bible, I mean was that they were literalized instead of being valued as metaphor. You know, that, that is, and that's what evangelical Christianity did to them. You know, they literalized a beautiful story. And I had a 62 year old lady tell me the other day, she said, you know, I really don't think there are streets of gold or pearly gates in heaven. I think, I think it just tells us that. And, but what it really is, is something altogether different. And I was like, go on. <laughs> and, but, you know, as happy as I was for her that she was starting to sort of see through the veil, it also made me sad because, you know, those those aha moments are indicators of second half of life stuff. You know, like how Richard Rohr talks about, you know, you're, you're coming into your second half of life. You're growing up, you're shedding your inherited religion and beliefs and you're coming into your own you know so good for her but what made me sad was that it was at age 62 you know when she's you know hopefully got 20 or 30 more years but maybe not you know right and so it's just like you know as painful as the journey has been for me i mean i'm also grateful for it because while i really balk at a word like enlightenment because I don't want to sound conceited or arrogant. I'm just, I'm just thankful that I awoke to these sort of things in my thirties instead of my sixties, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, hopefully I have an opportunity to do something of good with, you know, what I've learned and what I've experienced. And, um, you know, I, I've got two small children, ages 5 and 7, and they go to a school that has somewhat sort of a Christian bent to it. It's it, it doesn't have Christian in the title. It's not in the handbook, but it's a private school and you know they um they will sing like Christian songs there and things like that, right? And, right. My daughter, my daughter, who's five, is just kind of walking through the house the other night, just you know, as five-year-old girls do, singing a song out loud, which is wonderful. I mean, what inhibition and joy it must just bring her to just do that. That's great. But anyway, <laughs> right. uh, but anyway, she's she's singing a song, and it's the lyrics. I can't remember them exactly, but there's something like you know. When I grow up, I can be what I want to be. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm going to make the right choice. And I'm listening, and I'm like, hmm. And so I stopped her, and her name's Lindy, and I said, Lindy, I said, you just saying that you're going to be what God wants you to be and that you're going to make the right choice. Now, that lyric bothered me, right? Because yes, me too. I know what that would have meant if I had been 5 and singing that song that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm not going to follow the world and you know and all that crap. Like, you know, it's indoctrination. And so, I just asked her. I said, "What do you think the right choices are that God wants us to make?" What what are what are the right choices? And she said, "Well, daddy, I think that means that you need to be kind to people and that you need to be nice and that even when somebody's not nice to you you try to be nice to them and if they're not nice then you just tell the teacher <laughs> man <laughs> I wish I, that's yeah. the way it worked <laughs> and, and but I told her I'm like so that's what God wants you to be that's the right choice God wants you to make and she's like uh huh and I am said like, okay well you know I can roll with that. Yeah, for sure. If that's what my five-year-old thinks God is and those are the choices God wants her to make, I'm completely okay with that, you know? Um, I don't need to sit my daughter down and go like, Well, honey, you know, God, like, God's not real.
2: (laughs) I mean... The only way
1: kids have to learn, like, kids have to have a literal, the kids have to have personification, you know, that's just how they learn, and so I I don't need to sit there and break it down for her that God's not real and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Now, you know, I've told her before, you know, I've told both my kids before that, you know, um, the stories that we love, the movies, like the superheroes and the princesses and the heroes and the villains, you know, that the Bible's a story just like that. It's a story about heroes and villains and good things happen and bad things happen. I'm like, so it's, it's not so much important that, you know, you think that the devil's going to get you or anything like that. In fact, I hope my daughter and my son don't even know about a devil at all at this point, Mm -hmm. but just to make sure that they understand that this is just a story this can influence you, but it's just a story, you
0: know. Yeah, it'd be nice if um, that's a way. You, you know, I, I think I wish that people could tell the story of of whom you know, whatever story it is they're relating they're relating to, and then you know, we glean from that, you know. It, it, and I, I think uh, you know the the Jewish the Jewish culture midrash, I think it's what they call it, but. You know, where they all just, well, this is what, this is the way I perceive it. Or this is, instead of there being all these concrete things, people are allowed to have their own perceptions and, and insights. And, you know, it's not all this, uh, well, you know, the, the rigidity, the definition that we've been talking about, that, that kills that stuff, the constructing of a God, which is what I think most of this is, is actually what kills God, you know, to me. Right. Right.
1: And we all construct a God, you know. I mean the even the scripture talks about, you know, work out your own salvation. Well, I mean that's all that means is you're finding your own way. You're you're finding your own way to make life work and to make sense of it all, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're all gonna construct gods or God or whatever. It's just, you know, we have to construct healthy ones. We have to construct a God perception that Um, is healthy for us and that enables us to be a better person in the world, even if your perception of God is there is no God. Okay, well, that's great. But what really matters is how does your understanding or lack thereof of God enable you to be a better person in the world? You know, if you're an atheist but you're an asshole, well, then you're an asshole.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you,
1: you know if you're an if you're a Christian and you're an asshole, you're an asshole. Right. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or non-believer or Buddhist or or whatever, you know. It's the the whole orthopraxy is is more important than orthodoxy,
0: you know. Mhm. Yeah, you know, I think too it it's um you, you see a lot of in in because so much of, and and look, the, every religion has their fear in it, but my my uh, familiarity is with evangelical Christianity. So whenever I'm criticizing it, uh, don't send me an email, why do I only cut down Christianity? It's because it's the only thing I know. So uh, with, yeah. with that out of the way, <laughs> it seems like so much of, Christi- of evangelical Christianity is so fear-based that it really makes people miserable. And so a lot of times I have a good friend of mine who's a pastor who's really struggling with God not answering prayer, you know, God not performing essentially. And it's like, well, dude, maybe your beliefs don't work. And, and, you know, that's okay. And, you know, I had a guy the other day, I, I was talking about, you know, so many of the things Jesus said, they they uh they seem to harmonize so great with some of the things that Buddha said, and and uh, there just seems to be this cool harmony there. And and so then the guy's like, so what are you saying? There's like many paths to the same God, you know, the one true God, or there's this. It's like, no, I'm not saying anything. I'm not. I'm just saying I think the similarities are cool. I'm not making any definitions to this, and and I wish that. I don't know, dude. I wish it wasn't so black and white with some people, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, um there are definitely points of intersection among all major religions, you know. Um people who are so black and white and rigid in the evangelical circles, you know, they don't even realize that some of the literature in the Bible, you know, predates all religion essentially. Mm-hmm. Like the the wisdom tradition, right? The proverbs. Uh, proverbs are part of the wisdom tra- tra- tradition. Well, those thoughts that are in the proverbs predate all organized r- religion. The wisdom tradition existed before any religion, and so it's just yeah, there, there's there's so there's so much depth there. There's, in any sacred text, you know, not just the Bible, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Quran, in the Tao Te Ching, you know, there is so much depth. There's so much to be mined. And it is just so sad when people have been given this religion that, you know, the irony of it is it really is watered down. And I grew up hearing that, you know, even in in evangelicalism that what they had was the truth and to compromise it or water it down, you know would is sin and dangerous territory, you know
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the irony is no, it's like everything that it ever was is watered down all of it, you know, all of evangelicalism it is so, so watered down. I mean, yeah, I, I love this movie, uh, American Gangster, with Denzel Washington, you know. Mm-hmm. And I sound like a white boy from the South, right,
2: when I say <laughs> it. American
1: Gangster. But anyway, this part in this movie where Denzel, you know, he goes over to the Vietnam, and he buys all this heroin, and he brings it back to the States, and he's selling it on the street, you know, in New York, you know, and in the Bronx. I mean, pure 100% heroin and then people start, you know, buying it and chopping it down and watering it down or whatever they say. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a heroin
2: guy. <laughs> <laughs> then they start chopping it down and they start, you know, reselling it, you know,
1: and it's just like, you know, people are enjoying it, but it's just, man, they, they, they chopped it all up, you know, they watered it down. And, um, It's just so funny. It's because evangelical Christianity put itself out there, or at least it did to me, that it was the 100% pure, you know, unfiltered product. And no, actually, it is really chopped down. It is really watered down. It's so not even close to what I understand the the origins of Christianity to be, and and that all began with
2: Constantine, you know, when he co-opted religion for the benefit of empire. You mm-hmm. know, I think so. Um, yeah, that's when it all started, and it's just
0: been it's just been that ever since, you know. And it was much um, more fluid before that,
1: right? Yeah. Right, and and so you know, and and see, these are things you learn in church history books, and these are things you know your church won't tell you. And why won't they tell you? Because they don't know, you know. And so that's what I was saying earlier As I began to, you know, read things and study things that caused, caused me not just to trust the same old, same old answers that seemed to work for everybody else. And, you know, that, that's not meant to make me some sort of elitist. It was just I just had this thing within me that was like, there's got to be there's got to be some more here. Like, it, there's just no way. Mm. That it's just this,
0: you know? And, and, and there's so. there's oceans. I mean, literally, there's just, there's so much, there's so much more. It, 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 just to the Christian faith, you know, there, there, there's so much more prior to, and even the split of the Western Church and the Eastern Church, you know, the Eastern Church seemed to hold on to, not, not, not completely, but a little more room for, uh, interpretation. And I think in the Western mindset, its insistence on its purity is what's gonna actually destroy it, because it just doesn't resonate, and people are asking, I think, more questions now than they felt the liberty to ask before and so hopefully some of those older writings the apophatic fathers or even like saint francis or or uh origen you know hopefully some of those will start to maybe resurface at some level so so let me let me ask you a couple of things before i let you go as you were and i don't know what where you're at with this if you're and i guess we're always deconstructing and reconstructing probably at the same time but as you begin to deconstruct and and pull away and and maybe start even to get rid of some of those beliefs how did you deal with the fear factor and just the you know the letting go of what had always prior been like an absolute to you i mean how did that work
1: yeah um you know in terms of like
2: okay when I hear fear factor well that makes me think of hell absolutely
1: yeah having always been preached a a literal hell I mean I grew up hearing some scary shit yeah absolutely man there's a God's got a trap door at the seat of his throne you know and if you stand before the moment you die you stand before the seat of judgment you know basically God's been videotaping your whole life and he plays it back before (laughs) you you know, no, no, dude, dude, I mean, I'm, I'm like telling you, that's what it was, that's what was told to me, maybe to you too,
0: but, me too, yeah,
1: and it was told to everybody, and I mean, I don't think the guy who said it, I honestly believe he thought he was preaching the truth, mm-hmm. you know, and so, I have no ill will, it's just, it's messed up, you know, and so, you know, I, I, I grew up, Terrified of going to hell. I grew up terrified of a rapture happening. You know, um, for me, I think the fear was a slow fade because I look back on my journey and realize that my deconstructing process happened, and like it started in like 2004, uh, the same year I became a full-time vocational youth pastor. I started running with some folks, uh, you know, the youth specialty circle that was very popular back then, and may still be popular today, I don't know, but these were people who were You know, Brian McLaren was a part of him with his book, A Generous Orthodoxy. Rob Bell was in that mix. Phyllis Tickle, that's when all these people, Jay Baker, that's when all these people were still considered, you know, mostly orthodox. Maybe not Jay so much, but the other folks for sure. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these were people who were pushing the boundaries and just beginning to speak a message of kind of like big grace. You know, God's grace is bigger. Than all of our sins, you know, that that where grace abounds, or that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, you know, that's really, really true, like we need to hold on to that, and so these were circles that were big believers in, um, you know, this huge grace, and that the hell talk was minimized, you know, mm-hmm. and so the more I started Believing in that message, and because I knew firsthand when you get preached hell all the time, like that's not a catalyst for you doing good in your life, you know, Um, hell will just, the talk of hell will just paralyze you, but the talk of grace would enable you to, you know, be a force for good in the world, and at that time I would have said for God's good in the world, you know, and so as a youth pastor that i wanted to enable my kids not paralyze them in fear Mm
2: -hmm. and so
1: i and so when you root yourself at that time or when i rooted myself in that grace message you know my fear of hell started to fade a little bit more because it didn't carry as much weight for me and then you come along with um carlton pearson who started talking about, well, maybe there is no hell, so it's it's easy, and if any evangelicals listening to that, to this right now, they're just like, oh, this is exactly how it happens, you go from all hell, to maybe hell, to no hell, right, <laughs> right? and I'm like, I'm like, yes, that is how it happens, <clears throat> absolutely, <laughs> but... You know, I started to hear guys like Carlton Pearson, and Carlton's connected to a church in Atlanta not too far from me. And, of course, John and Carlton have a relationship. So I got to know more about Carlton, and I got to sit with Carlton and talk with him and some of his peers. And I started hearing things about, you know, you don't have to get saved. You already are saved. You have always been saved, you know, in the Bible where it talks about um, – you know, Jesus and Adam, what is it, in Romans, um, you know, that where Jesus was the second Adam, you know, and, you know, I would hear things like, you know, if um, we didn't have any choice in the fall in Adam, and it is the same in the grace of Jesus, and, you know, um, th- his covering <clears throat> salvation for the world, you know, Jesus, Jesus covered that. We're included in Jesus just like we were included in Adam, you know, And so you don't have to be saved. You just have to realize you already are. And so, yeah, man, I went down the slippery slope and it's a hell of a ride and it's a good (laughs) ride because, you know, it, 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 it frees you. And so by the time I'd gotten to the place in my deconstruction, like during the podcast of the Holy Heretics where I'm just kind of like, you know, okay, I don't even think there is a, a God, you know, I just, I'm, I'm done with it. You know, I, the fear
0: factor for me, again, had just been a slow fade. It mm. really had. So,
1: and so it just kind of it faded out over a period of probably about 10, 12 years.
0: Yeah. It, yeah, it takes a while. I mean, I, I totally, intellectually, you know, I, I'm there, and I agree with you. And and I've told people this before. Look, if, uh, if the first Adam – You know, if if through the first Adam, everybody goes to hell, essentially, or or sin spreads to everybody, or we're all dirty, or whatever you want to say, and then the second Adam being Christ, you've got, you know, maybe a few million that make it, but you have billions and billions and billions that don't, well, then Jesus, you know, his mission wasn't really that productive, and that just seems (laughs) counterintuitive, you know?
1: But again, you know, that that whole framework goes back to literalizing a story that was
2: not meant to be literal, I don't think. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm
1: hmm And so it's, you know, that's why I asked you at the beginning, again, not to interrogate you, but when you said, I'm a believer in Christ, I, I legitimately wanted to know, okay, but what does that mean to you? Because... There's a lot of people who would say that. And, you know, everybody, it, it just it means something completely different. You know, if you walk in an anv- evangelical church and you get up behind the pulpit and you say, I believe in Jesus, well, we all know what that means. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> but when you're just talking to someone, you know, on the streets, it's like, well, I believe in Christ. And in this day and time, well, I think we have to. Well, what does that mean? Because it, I, I might could join you in it. I might can't join you in it. You know, it's, it's all about you know, the, the, the meaning of the story. And that's where I'm at with the Bible these days, man. It's like, you know, there was a time where I couldn't get enough of it. There was a time where I couldn't get away from it fast enough. You know, now, I mean, I I haven't read the Bible in a long time, but I can approach the text with gratitude just to say that, there's some things in here I agree with. There's some things in here that I don't agree with. There are some stories in here that are really great for teaching us valuable truth for life. But, you know, there are other texts that, quite frankly, they teach the same truth but better, you know.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's it's for me, that's that's where I'm at with it all these days. I mean, I just I try to approach it all with a, a sense of gratitude and knowing that, and having an appreciation that humans wrote all of these things down and all any of us have been doing since the very first one of us, is we're all just trying to make sense of this place, you know? And it's we're all trying to, Yeah, we're all trying to make sense of this existence, you know? And I think that has enabled me to just have a lot of grace, even for where I when I hear people who say, well, you know, God's word or this is God's word or this is God's way and you're going to, to hell. John and I have had some encounters recently with the same person who's basically called him a false prophet and who's left uh, chick tracks in my door at home. And it's I mean, it's kind of funny, but, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely not angry at this person you know it's just like I understand that's where you are and that's okay with me like I heard Richard Rohr say one time that you know you get to a point if you grow up enough you kind of become unoffendable
0: you mm-hmm. know yeah that's
1: because you, just, true. you just realize that people are just living their out their own journey you know and you've got yours and You know, it's you. you Just get to this point where it's like, okay, I recognize that you're working out your own salvation. Part of you working it out thinks that you've got to save me. I know you don't have to. So, peace be with you.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) You No, I I actually agree with that. I think too, as you become maybe more authentic or honest with yourself, you, I find, and I'm sure you you do as well, obviously. But I, I don't. I don't. I'm not looking for anybody to validate what I believe or tell me I'm right or wrong or they understand or, you know, I really, I don't care. Uh You know, you say I'm lost, say I'm saved, say I'm wise, say I'm foolish. It doesn't really matter to me anymore because I'm just trying to live out of what is most authentically, you know, deep within. And, uh you know, that that's probably not going to look like what a lot of people want it to. And, and that that's okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to receive their acceptance or approval anyway. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, when you can step out of the duality and the binaries and you can just see things as sort of, yeah,
1: there are parts, but they're all parts of the whole, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I just think it helps you to live sort of that unoffendable existence, you know, that I mean there are some religious practice. Like, I, I know some people who are self-professed witches, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Ten, ten years ago, I would have called those people
1: evil and from the pit of hell and, you know, of the devil and all that stuff. And now I'm just like, oh, they're just really in tune with the earth. Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're all made from stardust, right? And so it makes perfect sense to me that you could sort of look to the planets as sort of guides for this existence because the things those planets are made of and those stars are made of, we're made of the exact same thing too. And so it makes sense to me that there might be some sort of harmony to it all. Now, that's not my language. I don't speak that language, but I don't have any problem with the people that do. Like, they're not evil. They just speak a different language than I do. But we can... Talk like we said a minute ago. We can find paths of intersection and points of intersection. You know, there's no reason
0: to be an enemy to someone when they're not an enemy to me. You know? Oh yeah, and you know, I mean, I, we've crossed paths with uh, people that are pagan and uh, all kinds of things, really. And and so many times you find out that they're just beautiful individuals doing the best yeah. they can too. You know, and it's so it's it's so weird to. And again, and I know a lot some I have a few evangelicals that do listen and and so I know right now they're just like, "No, we have to departmentalize everybody and we have to give everybody a label. It, yeah. it just doesn't work, man. It, it just doesn't work. Nobody's a true Baptist, nobody's a true Methodist. We all have these internal conflicts that scream out, "I don't believe in whatever it is." And of course, we I mean, I let people see it now, but at one time, oh, you'd never show that to anybody. I, I just think there's right. more harmony with this God thing or divine thing or source or universe. I think there's more harmony among the humans maybe than what we'd like to admit. And And perhaps even sometimes that harmony causes us all the more to dig in our heels and kill people in the name of a God, whoever that might be. I don't know. That's just an idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you. You know it, and I I also understand that the labels, you know, I get why evangelical Christianity and rigid belief systems like that are so appealing to people because it's easy. Yep. You know, if if the evangelical listeners right now are probably spitting mad at me because they're like, "There's nothing easy about my faith. There's nothing easy about you know my walk with God." You know, well, I mean okay, I hear you, I would have said the same thing at at times too, but you know, a rigid belief system that's full of thou shalt's and thou shalt not's, I mean, it's easy, there's no nuance, it's everything's cut and dry, Mm -hmm. black and white, in or out, I mean, it does not get any simpler of an existence than that, but it makes you have to deny all the gray matter and the gray spaces of life, and it makes you try to to take that gray and you have to make it black or white. And it and it never will become that if you're honest about it. And so uh, I think one of the most hurtful things about the evangelical church is that, you know, they try to help people take their grays and make them black or white, you know, and they don't give people the space and the permission to say, it's okay, to just not know what this is and not know how to deal with this. You know, I I was at a funeral a couple of months ago and just tragic. You know, it was a young man who died young, left behind a wife and small children, just a like a one vehicle accident. It was so tragic. And one of the eulogists who's a you know Southern Baptist preacher got up there and at first, told this really beautiful story about you know knowing this man as a young boy, and and um, then he said, "But you know, we all want to know why." And um, he's like, "I'll tell you why. Because of sin." And I just thought, "Oh, you know it just it just took the wind out of me because I'm like, you know, the tragedy of this moment cannot be reduced to." Because of sin. Agreed. You know, it's just, man, all we can really say about it, this right now, is this just hurts like hell. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's about all. This hurts like
2: hell, but we're all in this together. And that's about all you got, you know? Absolutely. And I don't, and I don't know, man. Like
1: me, I find more hope in a statement like that than I do of just being able to reduce it down to it's because of sin mm-hmm. you know but, but one
0: day God will split the eastern sky I'm like yeah but man that sure doesn't do much today does it <laughs> exactly <laughs>
2: right yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, I do I do well hey man I, I we could talk all day I think but I, I know you got things to do I thank you so much dude for coming on man i've i've listened to you for so long and uh it's just a thrill for me to have you on and and i love where you're at man it's just a, it's really it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing and i, I appreciate you being here man i
1: really appreciate the opportunity and um thanks for Thanks for always reaching out in the past and for reaching out in the present. You know, it's been great to connect with you and get to know you a little more. I know you and John talk, and so that's awesome, too. And, uh, you know, um, man, I I see great things about your podcast. So,
0: you know, I, I think that's great. It's great. You well, know, the, the it's world, a, it's world a, it's needs more voices like yours. I don't know, man. It's it's a, it's an ever-expanding thing, and, and so, you know, you don't... And, and that's the thing, I guess, about spirituality or just being a human. You know, you're constantly evolving, and um, so who knows, man, I mean, where we're going to end up, you know? And, I don't uh, know, brother.
1: <laughs> I mean, all I've got is today, and I'm trying to live in the now, you know, yeah. and be... Be grateful for what is, uh, not regretful of what has been, not not even necessarily hopeful for what will be, but just grateful for right now. And um, you know, live each moment as it comes, and um, recognize the beauty that is that is here for the
0: taking. You know, yeah, you know, and that's that's one thing too, dude. I, um, I every once in a while, you'll post a picture um, on your Instagram account with either your wife or your kids. You know. And um, I, I love seeing that, you know, I can remember years ago when I pastored a church and we'd be driving to service on a Sunday morning. And I'd think, man, I wish my wife and I were sitting in all any one of these restaurants that we're driving by, you know, just to enjoy being alive. And uh man, that's, that's the good stuff right there. At least it, for me, I, I find you know, th- th- this really is what living is is about. Yeah,
1: and I don't, I don't know if it's my deconstruction journey that has taught me that, or if it's having worked in hospice for almost a decade now that has taught me that. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but I, I am keenly aware that you know, not every day is a good day, but every day is a gift. You know. know. And sometimes it's a gift that you just want to go away, you know, when it's those bad days or it's a gift you want to give back. But, you know, it's time is so precious and it is so short. And, um, you know, I I try to be present to each moment, you know. And um, so it's been good to have been present to these moments with you just to
0: sit and chat. Man, thank you, dude. I appreciate that, man. I, I feel... Exactly the same way. It's been a it's been a real honor. So hang on the line with me for for just a moment, and I'm going to close the podcast out.
1: Okay. Ten four.
0: Yeah, hang on. Thanks, guys, for listening, and uh, I'll uh, catch you on the other side of the music. All right, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me on the podcast, man. What a great conversation uh, with Scott. You know. Um, I like where he's at you know it's it's so hard I think um sometimes cynicism and bitterness become so much a part of the the conversation and uh, perhaps Scott dealt with some of that you know um I, I know that I have perhaps am uh, but I, I just love where he's at and I love what he brings to the podcast. Um, Uh, in this particular episode so you know if you want to connect with uh, Scott the best way to do that is just to find him on Instagram Scott Watkins and uh, connect with him that way that's probably the best way to do that he's not a not a huge social media guy but he does post quite often on Instagram and uh, yeah he's got a great feed so you might want to check him out there All right, I think, man, that is it. So I'll catch you guys next week. Got some really cool stuff coming up on the podcast over the next several weeks. And so for those of you that are deconstructing and reconstructing, I think you're going to enjoy uh, several of the upcoming episodes. Maybe perhaps a little controversial to some of you. Um, But I think they're worth checking out. All right? Okay, guys, that's it. Thanks for hanging out with me. I'll catch you online. Blessings done.